And the other thing that's quite a lot of misunderstanding is testing. In a young woman, the levels are really smooth. They follow this very predictable curve. But once you go into the perimenopause, the levels can fluctuate. So a woman can be having hot flashes because she's having low estrogen overall. But if you test her on the wrong day, when she, when her body tried to desperately put out a lot of estrogen, she could get a high level. I don't Mm -hmm. test women in the perimenopause and I don't test them in menopause. Now we do test a hundred percent of the women. We will wait till about three months, four months when a woman is on her program and she says, oh my God, I feel better. I feel like myself again. Then we do test with 24-hour hormone testing just to confirm that a woman is in the optimal zones, not too little and not too much. I'm Philippa. In this podcast, me and my generous guests delve deep into the world of menopause. Buckle up and get ready to embark on a journey of empowerment and self-discovery as we embrace the change. Welcome to Moving Through Menopause. Welcome to this episode of Moving Through Menopause. I'm delighted to be chatting with Dr. David Rosensweet. Dr. Rosensweet is the founder of the Menopause Method, and uh, he's teaching health professionals about the treatment of women in menopause, and this is really important. It's a a cause very close to my own heart, but in particular, the use of bioidentical hormones. And so Dr. David has written a book. He's an author of Happy Healthy Hormones to Thrive in Menopause, and no doubt for much longer than that. And so I'm very happy to welcome you to the podcast today. And so hormones, you know, this can be a real minefield for women. We've, we've really had our ups and downs, haven't we, in our relationship with hormone replacement therapy in particular. And not to be rude, but you've probably ridden that storm quite a little bit because you, you've been doing this for some time, I guess. Yes. Uh, I'd love to start out with this issue because it ought not to be a storm. Oh, true. For the, the information and processes involved are extremely clear-cut and well-established. And for a thousand years that we know of, hormones have been replenished in women and men. And then in the, the pharmaceutical industry really saw the opportunity there. And they came out with very popular, the most popular and profitable medications of all times, Premarin and Prempro. These were hormones derived from the urine of horses. And that may sound odd, but there's reasons why they did that. They needed a source of hormones and they exist in the urine. And so they chose a large animal. Mm. And 18 million American women were on hormones as the turn of the century turned. And that's 40% of all women in menopause. But then the Mm. firestorm took place. False science falsely reported occurred. Mm. And it scared everyone worldwide. Mm. Women all over the world and their healthcare providers zeroed in on one statement that was that said that there was an increased risk, not of Premarin. It was clear from that study that women who were on Premarin, horse urine derived estrogens, were at less risk 
for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke. It was on the PremPro arm when they combined Premarin with this artificial progesterone called Provera. Mm -hmm. That arm had a 1.26 increased relative risk, but in the study, it said that that was statistically insignificant. Mm -hmm. That's not what was reported. No. Only this increased risk was reported. Every medical doctor and scientist knows that when you hear the word statistically insignificant, it, it means draw no conclusions. Mm. But the firestorm <laughs> gripped the whole planet. And, you know, the number of 18 million women in America dropped to the very low millions, produced a lot of suffering. Mm. The, the doctors like myself saw that it was not correct science. I, and I was treating with compounded bioidentical hormones. And so I continued treating. And by 2017, in the United States, there were 6 million women, rather than 18 million women, mm -hmm. on hormones. And over half of them were on compounded bioidenticals. And then in 2017, the, the, that report was retracted. Mm -hmm. The original Women's Health Initiative, the original authors, published in the original journal, that after 18 years of follow-up, there was no increased risk of breast cancer, heart attack, or stroke. Not many people have heard about that follow-up report. <laughs> that's why there's the confusion and the tumult, because mm -hmm. women didn't want to put themselves at risk, even though they may have wanted the hormones. Mm -hmm. And if it's okay, Philip, I, I, I realize I've been talking a lot, but I'd like to clear the air. <laughs> I'm very happy for you to clear the air. <laughs> As human beings, we're at risk for thousands of diagnoses. And some of them are not good. And yeah. we're at risk for hundreds of cancers. And... As a male, I'm at relative risk for getting prostate cancer, and there's new reasons for that. That wasn't always the case. And then women are at increased relative risk for getting breast cancer, and that wasn't always the case. However, given that they were all at risk, mm. women who are treated with hormones are at less risk for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke than women who are untreated. That's the science. Mm. Women who've had breast cancer and mm. have had the breast cancer properly treated, surgery, chemotherapy, radiation sometimes, they have an increased relative risk of getting a recurrence than a woman does of ever getting a cancer. However, if those women who've had breast cancer and had that breast cancer properly treated are treated with hormones, they're at less risk for that recurrence. That's the actual science. And I describe that in detail in my book, in chapter three. And there's even a wonderful reference to an oncologist uh, who specialized in breast cancer who's written extensively about this. You know, it is something that is clearly not my sphere of expertise, but it is something that I am very interested in and have done uh, some degree of research around this. And not least of all, in the last couple of weeks, I was virtually at a seminar with the Scientific Institute in London where they were presenting. And 
You know, the thing that strikes me really is it's around the quality of life that we can expect versus with or without hormone intervention. And, and for me personally, it's a choice that I have made to have body identical hormones available from our National Health Service. And so that's the route that I'm uh, taking currently. And I think it is understanding whether you get diseases because you're taking hormones or just it's that you happen to be taking hormones and you and you get these. And I, th I think it is important that we highlight that people have choices in this matter. But by the same token, having an understanding of the science is, is really important for us to make these informed decisions about our health moving forward. You know, for me as a physiotherapist, I'm really keen on preserving bone, for instance. You know, it's not sexy. But it is something that I know estrogen has a part to play mm -hmm. in the synthesis of bone and the cell turnover in bone. And we do better when we have estrogen in our bodies than we do when we don't. And I'm quite passionate that we, we want to look after our bones and our muscles and our joints. And estrogen can help us with all of that. And some difference between the hormone treatments that are available here in the United Kingdom and in the United States. Maybe not what's available, but the terminology around that can, can sometimes create confusion. We talk about body identical hormone replacement therapy, which, if I'm correct, is the same as your regulated bioidentical replacement therapy, which is derived from yams and synthesized in laboratories by the pharmaceutical industry and that that is uh, regulated and so what you're talking about how does that compare well there's a wide variety of hormone products and if they're administered with some intelligence they're all good <laughs> you, even Premarin and prempro that there are millions and millions of women worldwide were on. You know, you could have your objections about it, but the women who were on Premer and Prempro did a lot better than the women that didn't in mm. general. Okay. Yeah. But things evolve, things improve. Mm. And, you know, once the interest in treating women in menopause, for example, they were looking for other sources. Uh, in fact, a dear friend of mine and a, and a colleague and also a friend in Dallas in the early 1980s said, gee, we think we can get pure estrogen. Why, why, why should we continue to try and use the horse urine-derived estrogen when pure est estrogen is available because they made it for the birth control pills? Yeah. And so they proposed that this body identical, or as it's called in the States, bioidentical, that the pharmacists find it. And they did. It was easy. The pharmaceutical manufacturers had manufactured it. And so the compounding pharmacists purchase it and put it up in creams and gels and powders and capsules. Mm -hmm. And so we're really talking about the same thing. I have minimal familiarity with what's going on in the UK, but I know you have compounding pharmacists. So yeah. there's various tiers of quality that one can do. All of it's good if it's administered properly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the bioidentical, the body identical, 
they are derived from plants. And the pharmaceutical manufacturers extract a precursor of hormones called diacetinin. Yeah, it's prevalent in yams, but they're mostly using soy because they can produce a lot of soy. Okay. And they extract the diacetinin and they convert it through their highly sophisticated methods that they do that. And they come out with pure hormones. One thing you mentioned, I want to jump topics for just a moment, the preservation of bones. Oh, yeah, because this is what people don't realize, that I'm, I'm a doctor, so I see people of all ages. So I know what's going on in the womb. I know what's going on in infancy and childhood. And I know what's going on in the other end, people in their 80s and 90s. And bone loss is epidemic. Mm. And it's called osteoporosis. And very common, like when I was in med school, a specialist in aging, gerontologist, said to us, let me tell you what's actually happening to older people. They're losing their muscles so they can't walk or stand with stability. And they fall on their osteoporotic hips and they fracture them. And in those days, most people died from that. Mm-hmm. And so the muscles are so crucial too. And I wanted to put a plug in for bioidentical testosterone. Oh, yes. Because in women, there's more testosterone than there is the most potent estrogen. It's not a male hormone. No. Well, I'm discovering there's, this. There's more, there's more testosterone than there is estradiol. And it's critical for muscles. Mm-hmm. And we've estimated, colleagues of mine and I, that 80 to 90% of all uh, people who go into assisted living facilities or nursing homes do so because they lost their muscle and their bones. And mm-hmm. that's what the gerontologist told us. You want to do something for older people? Help them with their muscles and their bones. Yeah. So it, the, the benefit there is huge. And it's, it's almost, you know, there's very, very few people who are still walking the streets in their 90s. Um, and the reason is they've lost bladder control because oh, of the loss yes. of the muscle that holds up the bladder, along with loss yeah. of vaginal health. So I know I wandered. Well, I mean, this is this is really the thing that I'm so keen to try and unpick for people because... You know, my personal experience is is not dissimilar to yours in that as a young physiotherapist, I was working in the ward with the geriatric patients recuperating from hip replacement surgery who, you know, were not necessarily doing very well. And that sticks with you, actually. Like, Like you say, you know, the loss of bladder control kind of tainted the air in those in those wards I have to confess and that sort of stuck with me and that that was not very palatable when I was young so like I say it's it's a passion of mine that we are giving people the information to make the decisions that allow them to live healthier for longer feel fitter and stronger for as long as is possible and that that isn't you know for me it isn't just about the the hormones it isn't just about the, uh, the medication approach. It's a whole lifestyle intervention that we're looking at. However, that the hormonal piece of the puzzle 
is key. And to, to the best of my knowledge, although we know that muscle synthesizes hormones, we know that there are other sources in the body. There's really the, the, the amount that is required to, to have this normal function at a cellular level seems to be sadly lacking unless we are in receipt of some support. <laughs> and so you're supporting women still, aren't you, to this day? to navigate this transition and 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 you know if we navigate it well then it feels a lot less like a change i'm guessing yeah i mean 75% of women get life disruptive symptoms mm-hmm. when their period stops and their hormones have dropped so low 25% don't experience symptoms and they wonder what's wrong with why is everyone else complaining but those women are the ones I'm more concerned about because they're not motivated to do anything, yet they sustain the same losses of bones, of muscles, cognitive function, brain function, mm-hmm. arterial health. Yes. So all of us need it. Men too, all of us yeah, need it. Yeah, well, that's right. Men too, definitely. You mentioned testosterone earlier, and in Europe it's been prescribed widely. For some time but the united kingdom here we, we're somewhat reticent to make it available to women you know it seems like you've got a few hoops to jump through before that is made part of your cocktail of, of medication unless you're under a, a private doctor like yourself i suppose when purchasing power comes into play yeah. <laughs> which is unfortunate bacon that the public health systems of mm. some Scandinavian companies, and I was—I thought it was UK as well, are providing hormones to the elderly for no charge. That's what I heard, because they recognize the tremendous benefit to the people themselves and to lowering the cost of crippling medic- medical costs that when you start paying for nursing home care mm. and living care. They see, the, they see the enormous benefits, so they pay for the hormones. We've got the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence that set the guidelines for, for medicine in, the, in our National Health Service. And, and so the, the guidelines are that women should be able to access hormone tr- treatment with relative ease, but that somehow this message doesn't seem to be getting down to the level of the doctors and you know for whatever reason what you're saying is it's six years at least since that evidence was presented the, the you know the retraction if you like and so in that time we're still playing catch up i think is what's happened very much yeah so you know it is part of this puzzle for health but people do have great difficulty unpicking what is having a health problem whilst taking HRT and having a health problem that's caused by the HRT, you know? And so that breast cancer patients who, as you mentioned, had treatment. My, I have family members actually who have gone through that process and then are absolutely prohibited, it seems, from receiving hormone treatments, even if 
even not really in an informed sort of a, a discussion process whereby you know you could give them the, the pros and the cons of that because I think that for some women you know you mentioned the genital urinary symptoms can be really life-changing for some women who are in terrible pain with vaginal atrophy but you know never mind intercourse they can't even go for a walk without having pain or sit down comfortably and then I know that you know this family member already has this diagnosis of osteoporosis only just into her 60s and 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 that's a really concerning situation you know that that these people are then not we're not taking it on balance, if you like, the, the pros and cons of considering hormone treatment under those circumstances. You might share with um, your relative chapter three of my book, and okay. then there's a book by Avram Blooming called Estrogen Matters, Estrogen Matters. There's a, mm. there's a British version of it. I have oh. the British version here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we must get the pronunciation right, of course. O-E-S. Yeah. It's by Avram Blooming, and it's the, the state-of-the-art science about the importance of being able to treat women who've had prior breast cancer mm-hmm. with hormones mm-hmm. because they're at less risk. They're yes. less well, risk if they're treated with hormones. It's a very, very gray area that's misunderstood enormously. Mm-hmm. So, Estrogen yeah. Matters by okay. Avram Blooming. And the other thing that's quite a lot of misunderstanding is testing for hormone replacement. So, if we're in that window where you would expect hormonal fluctuations because the FSH levels, the follicular stimulating hormone levels, go up as our estrogen levels go down testing is pointless really for the most part if you're in that window and especially if your levels are fluctuating wildly this is what we're told I agree. Uh, and then, yeah I agree all good entirely. <laughs> it, it's the, the, it's perplexing because of that fluctuation that you're describing mm-hmm. in a young woman the levels are really smooth they follow this very predictable curve but once you go into the perimenopause uh, that that's that transition zone. Mm-hmm. It, the levels can fluctuate, so a woman can be having hot flashes yeah. because she's having low estrogen overall. But if you test her on the wrong day when she when her body tried to desperately put out a lot of estrogen, she could get a high level. So it's mm-hmm. perplexing. So I agree. I don't mm-hmm. test women in the perimenopause, and I don't test them in menopause either because. I used to test them, and I realized, for example, in the United States, I would do the 24-hour urine hormone test, which is the state of the art, and they got to pay $300. They had the great opportunity to pay $300 for me to tell them that their hormone levels were super low. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't menstruating. Their hormone levels were super low, so I stopped doing that. Now, we do test 100% of the women. We will wait till about three months, four months when a woman is on her program and she says, oh, my God, I feel better. I feel like myself again. Then we do test with 24-hour urine hormone testing. 
just to confirm that a woman is in the optimal zones, not too little and not too much. Mm. Because just getting rid of symptoms is not enough. It's helpful if you have hot flashes and you start taking estrogen and your hot flashes go away, that's good. They should. Mm. But that's not quite enough because you can still have a little too little to protect the bones in the vagina and still have your hot flashes go away. Mm. So protecting the bones in the vagina is a very, very high priority. Mm. We don't want too much either. We don't want to overstimulate breast glandular tissue. So we do test every woman, but we wait until they say, wow, I feel good. Okay, let's test it. Yeah, this threshold that you describe in the not not too little and not too much, what would the numbers be around that? Well, you mean what are the 24-hour urine hormone test results? Or yeah. what are the amount of hormones that Ooh. you apply? Oh, yeah. I mean, what would be considered to be the level that you're striving for in those tests? What's, you know, what's the reading that you're looking for? Because I'm assuming that's a number. It is a number. Mm. But it's particular to the 24-hour urine hormone test. But I'll give you a general overview. Young women, some young women need this much estrogen to be healthy, fertile, pregnant, regular periods. Other young women need this much. Women vary enormously, woman to woman. And both of all these women and those in between are all healthy, fertile, regular periods. That's the zone of young women. The treatment zone is right below it. Oh, okay. So we know what that upper number is, and we know what that lower number is. Because the menopausal women don't need everything that a young woman needs. No. But we don't want to go lower than that mm. number is protects the bones, protects the vagina. Mm. Science has shown us through testing, um, through medical studies, what is that number? And we know what it is, and it won't help for me to no, tell no. you that number, but the laboratories publish it. Um, the laboratory that we use, they publish my research into what's the right amount, not too little, not too much. And if you go too high, well, every month, a young woman prepares for possible implantation, pregnancy, labor, delivery, and breastfeeding. Mm. So there's a lot of changes that take place every single cycle. Every single cycle, a woman develops new breast glandular cells in preparation for breastfeeding right during every single menstrual cycle. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And many women feel this. They feel their breasts get fuller as the month progresses. Those are new cells. Those are new breast glandular cells in preparation that early for possible breastfeeding. And if a woman doesn't get pregnant, those new cells disappear and the breasts get less firm. Well, in order to prepare, you have to create new breast glandular cells. And we think for most, but not every single one, most women, we don't want that breast glandular cell proliferation. We don't need it, and we don't want it. We don't want to see 
because that's a very vulnerable time when cells divide genetically. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to see mutations there. So we don't want to see breast gland or cell proliferation. So if this is the, if, oops, this is the optimal zone for young women, right below this zone, there is no breast gland or cell proliferation. So that's what defines these numbers. Enough to low, enough to protect the bones in the vagina. High, not enough to get breast gland or cell proliferation. Mm. Oh, well, I appreciate you explaining that to me because I, I hear lots of women saying, I, I'm on HRT, but I'm on the lowest dose I can possibly get away with. And, and again, you know, what you're implying is that that might be enough to get rid of hot flushes, but maybe not enough to preserve the, the tissue yeah. health. So That was a bizarre suggestion that emerged out of desperation, but no science. When 18 million women in America dropped to low millions, a lot of those women suffered greatly. So the medical professional must go, okay, well, take a little as you can for as short as you want. You can do it. But they didn't, there was no science to that. No, you want to take the right amount for your whole life, every single day of your life. I'll never stop my testosterone as long as I can take the crap off of it. Every day. Good for you. I, I mean, I, I'm with you. It's it, it, the more that I have researched the role, the receptors in uh, in the brain, and the memory centers in the brain, the heart, the, the circulatory system, all these systems in the body. And as you said, the short sightedness of governments who are not seeing or healthcare systems that are not seeing the savings down the line, you know. It, it befuddles me, I have to confess. Yes, yeah, there's one more yeah. thing I wanted to say about that. Sorry to interrupt you. No, not there are exceptions. Okay. There's some women who are moving towards dementia, very severe cognitive compromise that can be rescued. I'm pausing because it's so profound when it happens. Instead of going to dementia, they get their brain back through estrogen. And some of those women just need large amounts of it, even youthful levels. Okay. It's pretty rare, but you, there's always exceptions in some of these women. And that's so huge. I mean, so many women who are having dementia don't have to have it. There's a lot of causes of dementia. There's a lot of causes of Alzheimer's. But for the most prevalent thing in women, it's loss of estrogen. Yeah, Because there's so, so many receptor sites for estrogen in the brain so there are exceptions some women will even give them so much estrogen to get their brains back that their period returns that's rare that that's needed but i know i know cases where that was what was required well when a family or the woman herself gets her brain back she's not worried about a period no, I can I can imagine that. Yeah, that that would be at the bottom of the list. Most women will get their about. return of good cognitive function with usual treatment doses, which are low. Yes, yeah. they don't need that much. But I want to mention there's always exceptions in medicine, and uh, that's but that's how important estrogen is for the brain. Well, it, you know, and I and I think that 
the the idea that keeping the levels low is is perhaps a, a misnomer, as you say. Also, the idea that we have to stop taking it at some point again is another is another example of or you know I'm through it now and now I'm going to stop. There is no through it. That's what I think. Ask ask a man who lost his erection when he's in his seventies was put on testosterone, got his, got his erection, his good mood back, his good thinking ability back. Tell him that it's, well, you're 85, it's time to stop. It's not going to stop. <laughs> Same with women. You know, tell a woman who's feeling great and looking great, well, it's time to stop. For what? Yeah, no, they're not going to want to stop. There's no reason to. No. I started treating my mother and my mother-in-law when they were in their late 80s to advantage, yeah, for the first time. It's not ideal. You'd rather, I would have rather treated them when they were a lot younger, but they weren't about to let me be their doctor for female issues. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. we can't really blame them for that, can we? I know, I, I respected their choice. Yeah. So... Uh... I mean, this is it. Is there ever too late? You know, and you, you've kind of alluded to no, perhaps in those circumstances. The fact that some women struggle so much. You know, I come back to genitourinary symptoms and repeated urine infections is something that I've come across being really prohibitive for for quality of life. And so, is is estrogen something that speaks to that? Precisely, with great precision. Estrogen is absolutely necessary for the health of the vagina. Mm -hmm. And the bladder empties by a tube into the vagina. And where that tube opens up, it's called the urethra, is part of the vagina. And when the vagina changes, in medicine we call it atrophy, mm -hmm. It changes from a rich, healthy cellular lining to a very thin, very marginal cellular lining. Women, women experience it as dryness and pain on intercourse. Mm -hmm. If a woman is having pain on intercourse, she's getting that vaginal change. If a woman even has to use lubrication where she didn't used to, she's getting that vaginal atrophy. She's in the process of it. But there's a second piece of it that I mentioned earlier. There's a muscle that's like a big sling that holds mm. up the uterus and the bladder. And when that muscle suffers from muscle loss, just like thighs, legs, arms, women who are developing flat, let's see if I can get my arm in here. <laughs> their arms, they've lost muscle there. Well, that's mm. called sarcopenia. That's muscle loss, it's universal. And when you lose the power of that muscle that holds up the bladder and the uterus, that contributes to a falling bladder. And that's a major contributor to losing your urine, not being able to hold your urine. So there's those two things, the atrophy of the vagina and the falling the and the loss of that muscle. And this one, the vagina is protected by the estrogen. Oh, yeah. And it can be restored. If you're a woman and you've gotten vaginal atrophy, it takes a little time, sometimes one, two, three, six months, even a year of taking estrogen, that that vagina will get plenty healthy. 
no matter where you are mm. in that process, even if you're having pain on intercourse, even with lubrication, it will re, it will get heal. And then the muscles, they take a while too. And you couple those with exercises to improve that that bladder holding muscle called Kegel exercise, where you squeeze your anus. Here we all can we, on the count of three, we can all squeeze our anus. Yeah, that's funny. You, your eyebrows went up as well. Mine, my eyebrows always go up when I'm doing my kegels or pelvic floor <laughs> muscle strengthening exercises. Yeah, so so important for us to preserve the function of our body and the bladder <clears throat> and the pelvic floor is is absolutely it's a game changer when that goes wrong. So yeah, let's consider that hormone replacement therapy isn't the the bad guy that it was painted out to be and that our long-term health is, can be so much improved by taking on board what are essentially our hormones to start off with, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast and shedding a little bit of light on this topic that I've been a little bit afraid to discuss, hormone replacement therapy. And, and so it really just remains for me to say thank you so much, Dr. Rosensweet, for giving of your time today. And I, I wish you all the best as you continue to work it for the best interests of women. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Philippa. It's been my honor. Mm -hmm.